Hello. Uh, welcome to the workshop, Another Chance. My name is Frank, and I'm a compulsive reader and the moderator and speaker for this session. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share their own and not necessarily opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily those of OA as a whole. The format of this session is a reading, two speakers, ask-it-basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. And James, can we have you please read the Voices of Recovery, page 194? Good morning. My name is James. I'm a compulsive reader. Hi, James. Uh, from Voices of Recovery, July 12th. And that truth, our promise of recovery, is in every OA meeting when we join hands, pray together, and joyously, lovingly encourage one another. Keep coming back. From Overeaters Anonymous, second edition, page 26. Keep coming back. We say it at the end of every meeting. But hearing those words in a new way helps bring me back from a long, painful relapse. I struggled so hard to regain my abstinence, to break my isolation, to redevelop a relationship with my higher power. But I seemed to always slip back into the grips of the disease. And then I heard, keep coming back one day, and I made a decision to do just that. If I slipped away from my abstinence, I was determined to keep coming back to it. If I stopped talking to my higher power, I was determined to keep coming back to him. If I, find, if I found I wasn't using the tools or trying to work the steps, I decided to keep coming back to them. It's not easy to keep coming back to the principles of our program when the disease whispers in our ear that we are hopeless. But the decision to keep coming back has led me out of the despair and back into the light of recovery. Keep coming back. It works. Thank you. Okay. Well, now I will speak for 25 minutes. Uh, my name is Frank, and I'm a compulsive reader. And I'm from uh, Santa Clara, San Jose area, uh, up, nor up north. And um, I'm going to start my pictures going around. I apologize for these being in black and white. I forgot to bring my pictures with me, so I printed them out here at the hotel in black and white before I came in here. And um, I'll give you uh, the statistics first, and then I'll go back and fill in the story. Um, I came into OA 30 years ago. I, my top weight before the program was 430 pounds. I actually came into the program about 380 pounds. My goal weight is 200 pounds, and within the first year in the program, I lost 180 pounds and got down to my goal weight. I um, was absent for about three and a half years with imperfect absence for about three and a half years, and then I had my first binge, and then I went through a period um, of about five years of staying pretty close to goal weight but not having perfect abstinence and, you know, occasional binges and relapses, And um, but then after about eight years in the program, I started to gain weight tremendously, and um, I got back up to more than my original top weight. I got up to 460 pounds in my relapse in the program. And the relapse lasted for about 19 years, but it wasn't constant relapse. If it was constant relapse, I'd be dead right now. So I had some recovery and some relapse, some recovery and relapse, but um, it, didn't go, it didn't go anywhere down near my goal weight again. 
And then three years ago, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and I came to a convention in Oakland three years ago, and that's when I started my current abstinence. In fact, yesterday was my three-year anniversary of, of abstinence. And at that time, three years ago, I was 403 pounds. I'm now around 223 pounds, so I've got about 20 pounds to go to get to my goal weight, somewhere around there. I'm, I'm not sure what my goal weight's going to be this time. I certainly lost the weight slower than I did the first time, but... Uh, it's, it's been going down, and I've been absent for three years. So now let me go in and fill in uh, the details. What it was like before, I'm not going to talk about too much. I think we're all experts on overeating. I don't have to tell you about how I did it. You probably did it the same or different. It doesn't matter. But I was a quantity eater is what I was. I would have, you know, extra meals. I would go out at lunchtime, and I'd have two meals. I'd stop at two different places and have two meals, or I'd stop after on my way home from work. I'd stop and get a meal before I went home and had my dinner meal at home. So it was quantity eating that was my problem. You know, I'd make a whole tray of lasagna or whatever and just eat the whole thing in, in just an hour or two. So um, when I came into the – so let me back up again. So I, I started get over, getting overweight in high school and in college. It really went up. I went over 300 pounds in college, and um, in graduate school is where I got the 430 pounds. And I – was brought up in a traditional church, but in high school I converted to atheism, and I, uh, you know, I could prove that God didn't exist. I wasn't a wishy-washy agnostic about that. I knew that God didn't exist, and, you know, God was okay for my parents and my relatives because, you know, it's okay for weak people. But I, did, I had a brain. I didn't need to have that that God business. So I, I had it took it took a while for God to prepare me to come to a program that talked about God and the higher power. And I not only had to hit the bottom with the weight, I had to also hit the bottom with alcohol and um, drugs. And, and finally, what, what finally got me to look for, hope, look for some um, help was that I had a brief relationship with a woman, and she wanted to end it, and I thought this was the only chance for me. You know, and the best I could do in that relationship was get down to 380 pounds. That's what I did. But I couldn't get any lower. And... Um, so in desperation, I called around for some help, and I called uh, a clinic near us, and they said, oh, there's this psychologist that came in and talked about weight loss. So I called the psychologist, and he said that he'd take me on as a client, but that I'd have to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings simultaneously. Well, I didn't know anything about OA, but I looked it up, and it looked like it was going to be a lot cheaper than the psychologist. <laughs> so I went to my first OA meeting, and... God arranged everything perfectly. It was a very small meeting. It was at noon on a Wednesday. There were like three people there. So I could ask them about this. You know, when I heard them talk about God, I said, well, I'm an atheist. I can't do this then, can I? And they told me I could use any higher power I wanted. I could use the group as a higher power. It would be okay. And somebody at that meeting loaned me a big book to read, and they said, read the chapter, We Agnostics. So I took the book home. I read the chapter, We Agnostics, and then I was sure this program was not for me. Because the only message I got out of that chapter was, if you stick with us, we'll convert you. And I didn't want to get converted. But, see, I had borrowed the book, so I had to go back to the second meeting to return the book that I had borrowed. God arranged it perfectly. If they'd given me the book, I wouldn't be here today. So I went back to that second meeting, and I had another dose of pain in that week in between, and I was willing when, I, when they talked to me at the second meeting and said that I didn't have to believe in God. So I ended up going to a third meeting that night, the night that I went to the second meeting, and it was a bigger meeting down in San Jose. And there I got the hope that I needed, which was that I could see, I saw a man there who had lost over 100 pounds and had kept it off for a number of years. So I had hope at that point that this, this program could work. 
And I started using the group as my higher power. That's what I did. Um, you know, I, 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 didn't, I didn't use the word God. And, and I got, well, I, it took me a little bit to get abstinence because I wanted to include one beer with my dinner each night, and it was never just one beer. So after about two weeks, I said, oh, I know what i got to do. i got to go to AA. So I went to AA, and I've been sober since then. And um, so I... Got abstinent within a couple of weeks after getting into the program, and I, the weight was just melting off. And I did it by basically counting calories is what I did. And like I said, I'm a quantity eater, so that's a way of controlling the quantity, um, doing that. And um, the weight came off. And after about six months, I decided I needed to get a step sponsor. So I happened to find a step sponsor who had been cut out of the same mold I had been cut out of. He came into the program as an atheist. He was in both programs. Um, and had a lot of weight to lose when he came in. And the first thing he got me to do was to just give up the debate. I mean, if you have the question of whether or not a higher power can restore you to sanity, if that's, if that's false, what good is that going to do you in your life? Well, it's not going to do you any good at all. But if that's true, if a higher power can restore you to sanity, what good is that going to do your life? It's going to do a lot of good for my life. So the first thing I did was just give up the debate. And then the second thing he got me to do after that was to just act as if and to pray even if I didn't know what I, what I was praying to. And to my horror and disgust, it worked. If I, <laughs> if I said the serenity prayer, I got more serenity. So being the, the scientist that I am, the experiment worked, so I continued to do the experiment. And I continued to act as if, and I continued to, and I did, on, I, I did a little spiritual search for a higher power that could work for me, and I found a church that had a higher power that worked for me. And the higher power that I have then and I still have today is kind of like the higher self or the God within, the Christ within, whatever term you want to use for it. But it's the main thing I need to know is it's not me. The Frank that's standing up here talking to you right now, that's the Frank who is the compulsive overeater. If I use my brain talking in sentences trying to figure out how to not eat, I'm in big trouble. Because that's the Frank that's powerless over food. And there's a higher self within me that can, can give me the power to not take that first bite. So that's what works for me. Your higher power can be whatever works for you. That's the great thing I love about this program. So um, I got into the program, I started working the steps, and then I got involved in service, and I was, you know, I was the, uh, besides service at meeting level, I was the intergroup chairperson, I was the World Service Business Conference delegate for like three years, um, you know, and I was speaking at meetings, and my ego got bigger and bigger and bigger. My body got small, but my ego got big, and that's the problem. This is really an ego reduction program, and I wasn't doing the ego reduction part of it there. Um, you know, I, basically, I think what got me into my relapse was not practicing these principles in all my affairs. You know, I, I was kind of just using this program to control the food and, you know, just let me live my life for the rest of my life, with the rest of my life. So... Um, I think that's what got me into trouble and, and led to that first binge. And when I had that first binge, I couldn't tell anybody about it because I was Mr. OA in my head, you know, and I was, I couldn't do that. I couldn't, do, well, I had to give up all my service positions if I had that binge. I couldn't be the chairperson of the intergroup. I couldn't go to the World Service Business Conference, which was coming up at that point in time. So it took me about three months and about 30 pounds of weight gain before I finally admitted that I had, was not absent anymore. And um, so I gave up my service positions, and um, and then the rest is history. Like I said, I stayed fairly close to a goal weight for a while there, but then eventually the, the relapse really kicked in, and I was off and running. Um, 
So, you know, I'd, I'd gain some weight, and then I'd lose a little bit, and I'd gain some weight, and then I'd lose a little bit, and it just kept going up and up and up. And like I said, I got to a new top weight of 460. How much time do I have? Sorry. 15 more minutes. Okay, good. So, you know, I, I the one thing I did right during my relapse is I never totally gave up on OA. I, I realized that this was the only place that I was going to get the recovery you know, that um, any of those other diet programs are just a food plan, basically, and that the, the recovery doesn't come from the food plan. The, food, the recovery comes from, from working this program. But I think I was just not willing to work the program, you know. What I was willing to do was to go to maybe one meeting a week. Maybe it was every other week. Maybe it was once a month at certain points when I was really deep into the food. But, um, you know, I, that, that's all I did. I went to the Saturday morning 10 a.m. meeting in San Jose. That was my home meeting. And I would just sit in the back, and I wouldn't say anything. Unless I happen to have a couple of weeks of abstinence, then I would get up and I would say, I have a couple of weeks of abstinence, and then, you know, then eventually that would go away, and, uh, and that was all I was doing. I wasn't doing anything else. And, you know, the, the, to me, the understanding of addiction is that addiction is using despite the consequences. And, you know, I was certainly using despite the consequences of getting to 460 pounds. I developed diabetes during my relapse. Um, you know, I had high blood pressure. I had all these consequences of my overeating that, that I used despite of. And the reason I did that is because this disease is, is, is like a, a, it's a salesman. It's like the world's best salesman. And the world's best salesman that's telling you lies. And he's telling you lies over and over again. Like, it's okay. You can have that today. It won't matter. You don't have to tell anybody. You can start again tomorrow or on Monday or on the first of the month or blah, 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 blah. You know, those kinds of lies are the lies that my disease was telling me. And the problem is, is when I start believing those lies, when I start listening to the disease. It's like the world's best salesman who's not only the world's best salesman, but he can also read your mind at the same time. So, you know, you have no chance if, if you're listening to those lies. Or I have no chance when I'm listening to those lies. So, um, and during this whole time of my relapse, I said, well, I can't go back to my original abstinence. I have to do this or that or the other thing or just try to be moderate meals or whatever it was. I, I never tried going back to the original abstinence because my, my original food plan, I should say, my original food plan. And, um, you know, I, I was just in denial. I mean, it worked the first time. Why wouldn't it work a second time? I, I just wasn't willing is what it was. So with all these consequences and, um, and going to therapy, I mean, I went to therapy for 20 years altogether there, and therapy didn't fix me. But I, it, it did other things for me. I mean, it probably saved my marriage, but um, it didn't fix my compulsive overeating. So I, um, I was just getting sick and tired of being sick and tired is what it was. And, um, and you know, that's all I can say is that... Um, you know, people ask me how I got out of the relapse, and also, that's all I can say is that I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I just couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't fight the fight anymore. Um, you know, the, the problem with trying to fight the food when you're a compulsive overeater is that you keep losing. So it's like a company that, a, a country that's in a war, and they're losing the war, but they keep fighting, they keep fighting. I mean, they're going to get destroyed if they keep fighting when they're losing the war. And what happens when a country surrenders is that they get peace. And that's what happened when I surrendered here. I got peace. Surrender leads to peace. And it's just like a country that, uh, that's fighting a war can't just surrender the army and keep fighting with the Navy. That doesn't work either. You know, you have to surrender everything. So I have to surrender all of the food that I'm eating. I can't stick to a food plan where I'm allowed to have X, Y, Z and 
any quantity I want. So I have to limit quantities on all foods. Um, so, so I have to surrender all the food and, and my whole life is what I've learned in, this, in, the, in the recovery here that I've had from the relapse. Um, and I'm convinced that every time I did take that first bite, I was taking back the first step because I was saying that, oh, I can handle this bite here today and then tomorrow I can stop or, or whatever. Whatever lie I was telling myself at the time there was essentially taking back the first step, saying that I could handle this, this bite at this point in time. And, um, you know, I worked the one day at a time program even before I came to OA. I just had the wrong day. It was tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow is the day that I was going to start my abstinence. Tomorrow was the day that I was going to do X, Y, or Z, you know, clean my room, whatever it was. You know, I, I, um, I never thought I was a perfectionist because my mother was the perfect perfectionist, and I wasn't anything like my mother. But I was the kind of perfectionist that if I couldn't do it perfectly, I didn't do it at all. And that applied to the food plan, to cleaning my room, to whatever it was. Uh, that's the kind of perfectionist I was. So, um, let's see, I'm just looking at my notes here. Okay. Um, so, so I got sick and tired of being sick and tired three years ago, yesterday. And what happened was I decided that I, it would be a good thing to go to the Oakland Region 2 convention. Um, and this was on the weekend before the convention I decided to go. So I said I should start my absence on Monday. I did start it on Monday, June 26th. And um, so I had five meetings in those five days before the convention. And then at the convention, I got a big boost in my program from going to all the great speakers. And um, so then I decided I should go to 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, you know, I used to do that at some point back in my original recovery, but I didn't do it during my relapse. But I did 90 meetings in 90 days, and that was working so well that I kept it up, and I've kept up an average of a meeting a day since then. So I've gone to three years of meetings in three, um, in three years. So I'm, now I'm retired, so it makes it a little bit easier to get to any kind of meeting I want to, and I can go to both OA and AA. And, and I did miss days there, but I also had days when I went to two meetings, and I go to conventions where I get a whole bunch of meetings in one day. In, in, in a weekend. So, um, so that's, that's what's worked for me. And that, that was part of the surrender, I think, that, that allowed me to recover. It was the surrendering to that one meeting a day, that no matter what, I needed to go to a meeting a day. I mean, if you look at how much time I would spend thinking about the food, planning the food, acquiring the food, eating the food, and then feeling remorse about the food, the one meeting a day takes much, much less time than what I was spending before. You know, uh, you know I'd spend basically all my waking hours with the food one way or the other. Um, so, so I'm very grateful for that, um, and grateful that I have the opportunity to do that. And, you know, this, this recovery here feels a lot different than my first recovery, um, and I am so grateful for that. You know, I can only do it one day at a time, that's all I can say, but, um, I really am doing my best to practice these principles in all my affairs now. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm into service again the way I was before, but, um, I'm trying not to get too big of an ego about it, and my sponsor has this saying whenever I talk to him about my ego. He says, Frank, look, and, and my sponsor had gotten to the same top weight that I had. He said, Frank, look, you, you're, um, you're 60 years old. You've lost over 230 pounds from your top weight. Go strip and stand in front of a mirror. And that's a big ego deflation for me there, you know, because that's never going to go away, the, the scars of my disease. They're not going to go away. Fortunately, clothes covers most of that up. So, so I'm really trying to do ego reduction at this point in time. Um, 
And the way to do that is to get out of self, because that's what my disease is. My disease is selfishness and self-centeredness. You know, I wanted all the food, the alcohol, the sex, the money, the, the praise, everything I wanted it for me. Um, you know, the, the big book described me to a T is the actor who tried to control the whole set and get everybody to do exactly what they wanted to do. And, um, and I can never get that. I can never get everything controlled. So what I'm trying to do now is to um, get a lot more God into my life and, and less Frank. So, in fact, one of my mantras has become more God, less Frank, more God, less Frank. And I try to do, I breathe in while I'm saying more God, and I breathe out while I'm saying less Frank. So I'm breathing in God and breathing out Frank. And I can do that when I'm sitting at a meeting. I can do that when I'm driving. I can do that when I'm laying in bed trying to go to sleep. And, um, and that's my goal is to have more God in my life and less Frank. Get out of my will and get into God's will. So um, I've done a lot more praying in these last three years that I've been in recovery here, um, and I have a lot of spontaneous prayers that I just say. Um, for example, one, I, I, have, I have tons of character defects that are still there, and I, um, one of them is, for example, impatience. In any kind of a line, I'm impatient. You know, I'm always in the, the slow line, the fast line is over there going past me, and my head just goes, starts going a mile a minute. So now if I can catch myself, if I can notice that I'm getting impatient and, and getting some anger or whatever else coming up there, I try to say a prayer. And the, and the prayer I try to say is something like, God, thank you for this opportunity to practice my patience. Because I sure need a lot of practice. I don't do patience very well. So I just say that prayer. And sometimes saying it once will work. Sometimes I gotta say it multiple times. But if I say it enough, I eventually am able to accept the situation I'm in and 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 try to see the positive out of it, you know, that it is an opportunity for, for me to practice patience. And I do it to all my character defects. Whenever I notice them coming up, I, you know, I say thank you for this opportunity to practice my acceptance or my tolerance or forgiveness or whatever it is. I, I try to state the positive of whatever my character defect is, the, po the positive opposite of it. So, um, and I just also try to just say thank you, God, whenever I can remember it. I mean, I tend to walk around like this. I think it's the weight is still on me or something. And whenever I notice that and I stand up like this, I say thank you, God, because that's I'm thanking God for reminding me to stand up straight. Um, and about a year and a half ago, I um, I developed a floater in my eye. Um, for any of you who don't know, the, the the vitreous fluid in your eye can liquefy, and then you get little floaters floating around. Well, I had floaters for years, but they were pretty small and innocuous. But all of a sudden, one time, I developed this big floater, and it would come sometimes into the center of the vision of my right eye here, my left eye here. Um, and I actually developed it when I was sitting in an OE meeting. It was kind of a sudden thing. And I went to an ophthalmologist and checked it out. It's not a big deal. It's nothing serious or anything. But I was sitting in that meeting, and I was so annoyed. I mean, this was going to be, you know, a pain in the eye. I mean, it was going to, you know, I, I wasn't, it was going to be floating in the center of my vision. It was going to be disturbing. How could I get used to this? Blah, 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 blah. My, my head was just going around a minute. And I'm sitting in an OE meeting. And I finally realized, oh, I could, I could say a prayer about this, you know. Thank you, God, or whatever. And what I, what I eventually, it took me a little while, but I, what I eventually did was I realized that every time that floater comes into my center of vision, I can say thank you, God, and I can be thankful for the floater because it's reminding me to say thank you, God. 
So I get this little visual reminder every once in a while, thank you, God, thank you, God. Now, over the year and a half, I don't notice it nearly as much, so I don't say as many thank you, God, as I did initially. But, but still, whenever I see that go into my center of vision, I try to say thank you, God. So this is all trying to get out of self-will and into God's will is what it's all about. And, you know, the, this whole recovery that I have here all comes from a spiritual awakening. I, that's the only place I can give the credit. And the big book, um, both in the 12 and 12, AA 12 and 12 and the 12th step, and in the big book in the, in the uh, chapter on spiritual experience, defines essentially a spiritual awakening as the ability to do something you couldn't do before. And that's what the abstinence is for me. The abstinence is something I couldn't do before, and, I can, and, and it's happening now, so that has to be a spiritual awakening in my life. And the same applies to all of my character defects. You know, any, and I still have them all, but I'm now more aware of them, and I'm willing to let them go. And, I'm, and I have made progress on them, I believe. You can check with my wife. But um, the, the, one of the things I've heard in this program is that one of the ways that God removes my character defects is by making it glaringly obvious to me when I engage in them, whereas before the program I was oblivious of it, and I just, you know, kept doing it because I was right. I mean, I, I actually felt perfectly justified to hold resentments before I came into this program. I thought it was my right and, I, you know, I should be able to do that and screw them and this is how I'm getting back at them. And I wasn't getting back at them. I was just getting back at me. All I was doing was hurting myself with my resentments. So um, so I try to use, uh, I need spiritual awakenings in all those areas of my life, not just in the food, but I also need it for all of my character defects. In order to let go of my character defects, those are things that I couldn't do before, and if I'm able to let go of any of them to any extent, it's because God has helped me. And, you know, I, I also need God's help to even work the third step. It says that in the big book, that we need God's help in order to turn our will and our life over to the care of God. I can't do it myself because, you know, my, my basic nature is selfish and self-centered. So I need a spiritual awakening there to allow me to do that, to even turn over that, the, the, my will to God. So um, that's my goal these days is to um, practice these principles in all my affairs. And, you know, that's the only way that I'm going to keep this recovery that I got today. And, um, and, oh, by the way, in my recovery here, I went back to the original food plan that I had, and it works fine. It works. Now, I don't lose weight as quickly as I did back then when I was 30. Um, but I lost 110 pounds in the first year instead of 180 pounds in the first year. So I'm coming in for a smooth landing, it looks like. I'm, I chart my weight, and it looks like it's coming in for a smooth landing right at my goal weight there. So I'm very grateful for this program and um, grateful for all the people in the program, and, um, and thank you very much. Okay, now our second speaker is Joe from Sherman Oaks, who will speak for 25 minutes. I'm Joe, compulsive overeater. <clears throat> Can everybody hear me okay? Okay. Um, I really wasn't nervous. <laughs> I'm sitting there listening. Again, <laughs> I really wasn't nervous until all of a sudden I saw that one minute where he had to stop. And because um, this is very always very difficult for me. Um, when I was newer in the program, I think he, he he's really. A lot of stuff he said I really concur with, especially I wrote that part down about the, our disease being a salesperson. And I always, I'm always very clever when it comes to you get those calls in the middle of, you know, when you're starting dinner and stuff or people coming to the door, and I just, I don't have any patience for it. But that's really, I give in to that salesperson when it comes to the food. So it's very interesting. 
Um, anyway, I just want to give you a little bit of a background. A lot of you, like he had said, a lot of us know how to eat. We, you know, we just maybe different aspects, quantity eaters, um, you know, small portioned eaters, whatever. Um, I'm also to a hundred pounder. I came in the program of May of 1976, um, and I always took a lot of a pride um, in that I had the first 20 years I had I had abstinence. It wasn't perfect, but I had it, and I was very active in NOA. And um, my only saving grace, and I really, uh, I really um, give this to the people that I've met in the program while I never left. Uh, for about 10 years, I um, I continued to come back. I continued to do service. I continued to go to meetings. I continued to do stuff, even though I was feeling not so good about myself. And, and, and it was for about 10 years. Um, it was very dark. It was very black for me because I actually, what people talk about that they came back, they went out and they really, really excelled in their eating. I excelled in my eating here. And um, I, I came in into the program of, uh, uh, I don't know exactly, I, I'm very good with remembering dates and stuff, but I, this, is the, this, this is the book's very funny, is I came in in May of 1976. I'm not sure on the date, but that, which is amazing for me because I usually always do. And, um, and then um, and I had well over 100 pounds off my body, probably 135 pounds for about 20 years. And then... Um, I started having trouble around in 1996, and, um, and and it's very important for me to talk about that um, for me because I have a lot of guilt and a lot of shame and a lot of resentment and a lot of pride behind that, and it's me, you know, um, it's me that has that. And um, I'm, I, I have to say, I'm feeling. I'm, I, I wrote, I said a little note to God. I said, okay, just give me the words. And like all of a sudden, I'm, I have all these things coming in my mind, and I can't. I want to straighten them up a little bit. Um, I, I have to tell you that I can say a few things and then sit down. You know, if we continue, for me, this is what I did. If I continue to work the program, if I trust in a whatever higher power I choose to call my higher power, if I, if I live those steps and if I go to meetings and I give up service in the program as well as outside the program, chance and, and I work on my spiritual, mental, and physical, chances are I'll continue to abstain for the rest of my life one day at a time. However, that's just, it's the beautiful thing that we see in books and, and in, in, in directions, how well it looks on paper, but then to go out and live it is, is very difficult. And that's what it was for me. Um, I really, in a way, can't tell you where or when it happened with my, my relapse, but what I do remember, and it's coming to mind, is in 1996, there's a lot of stuff that happened in my life, and it was good stuff and not so good stuff. Um, I had a, a pregnancy that I lost. I, had, uh, I was getting married. All the stuff that was good and bittersweet, all these wonderful things, and, and I, I don't even know how it happened. But we had at our at our wedding we had had um, a, uh, a, a sugar-free cake and a regular cake. So we have people. My husband and I are fortunate enough to have a lot of people inside of the program as well as outside the program. They were able to attend our wedding and they had known they knew us for many many years, and as well as our families. And it's somehow the I don't even know why I'm telling this story because I'm just remembering it um, is that. Somehow, the sugar-free cake was being served 
and people were pushing it away because it tasted didn't taste so good. And the and the regular cake somehow was not really there was a lot of the cakey not eaten. And I started taking little bits of it because I think they gave it to us to take home. And I remember I was in the condo and I took I and I I can't even tell you what I was thinking. It was almost like I was in a fog. And the next and I don't know why. I mean it was a beautiful day. Um, it was a it was a, a wonderful experience that we had. But I there were things that happened. I had just lost a pregnancy, and I, for whatever reason, I wasn't dealing with it. And I think really, really in reality what happened for me from 1996 to 2006 is I, I stopped doing what Frank was talking about. Even though I was going to meetings and I had friends and stuff like that, somehow I lost or I gave away that you don't eat no matter what and you and you work the steps and, and you know, you, it doesn't ha- it, it, for what it is, was my path and my 10 years of obsession and, and compulsive reading was my path, and that's maybe that's why I'm here today sharing it with you. So it doesn't have to happen to you or you can whatever. But what I'm saying is that I stopped doing the stuff that I was doing without even realizing it. That's what the disease does. The disease tells you that you don't have a disease. And, and, you know, it talks about it in the book, big book, and I'm not sure the chapter, but I know it talks about this man that realized he was having a problem with alcohol. He stopped for 25 years. He went to retire. He pulled out his carpet slippers and his bottle, and within five years he was dead. Well, that's my story, because I will die of this disease. And even after having almost four years of absence again after a 10-year relapse, it's still not perfect. And I'm still battling with the food, and I'm still battling with. I know I'm a compul. I know in my the bottom of my heart that I'm a compulsive reader. I know that. I know that, and I keep on listening to that. Thank you for that. I keep on listening to that salesperson. It's telling me, you know, you know, you know, you can do it. And I want to talk a little bit about the the ten year the ten year relapse. It was very dark. I put a lot of people in jeopardy. Around that 10 years, I mean, I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful family life. And what I basically, I'm not here to beat myself, but when I say, oh, I used to say, you know, if I'm eating, I'm not hurting anybody. Like, you know, the alcohol, the drug addict, they really are hurting people. When you're eating and you're in disease, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter whether you're eating or drinking or using or whatever or raging. You are, you are affecting the people around you as well as yourself. Because you know what you're doing, even after all these years of program, you know what you're doing and you can't stop. You know you have anger because you're in your disease and you can't stop or won't stop, whatever. And I'm not here for logistics, but whatever. I couldn't, I wouldn't, I didn't, whatever. And for me, I put my loving family and my loving friends in the middle of it. I would withdraw. I would not be so great. I mean, there were times that I was not doing well, and I would simply say, I don't feel good, so Mommy's going to lay down. And, and, and I would be there for my kids, but this is where it took me. This program of Overeaters Anonymous gave me a life I never thought possible. And I, I know we're not to look at material things, because they could be gone at any minute. But in reality, this this program gave me a physical, a mental, and a spiritual life that I never, ever thought possible. 
It gave me a loving family. I was able to work through things with not just my my immediate family, but my family, my mother, my, my well, my father. My father's gone, but I mean, a lot of stuff that helped me. This program helped me deal with life on life's terms and not eat. And and I and I and for ten years I I threw it away. I just it was just that comfort that I had with the food, and then it became that cycle that we talk about. We're eating because we feel guilty, and we're guilty because we're eating. And this is what happened for ten years, and it was so dark. I was seeing I was seeing a um, a therapist at the time, and and she was a therapist for for that I got introduced to with. Uh, she happened to have a background in eating disorders, but she, I went to her because she worked with parents and siblings or whatever with, uh, with <clears throat> children with special needs. My sons, um, I don't like to talk about this a lot because I don't like to have people come up and start telling me because what, you know, all this stuff. But my sons got autism. <clears throat> and I started going to this woman and I remember her having me do a collage. And just to go through and pick up things and to make a collage. And, and the collage I had is I had brought up a lot of stuff in my collage about the, about the simplicity of the 12-step program and, um, and, and also about the darkness that I had, had had and all that stuff. And this was in the fact where I was eating and then not eating. And, like, I, I relate with Frank as well. Like I, I would eat and then not eat, and then I would eat and not eat. I'd have a year of absence and I would break it, and then I would have a few months of absence and I would break it. And basically, what it is, as I return to eating, I would thank you very much, Sherry. Appreciate it. Um, as I would continue to to eat, and um, <clears throat> and I had worked with this lady for a long time because she helped me really get the gist of really to understand, like, you know, I'm not going to go, I'm, I don't want to use alcohol as a, okay, I've never been a, a, to domestic violence, I've never been a subject to domestic violence, I have a very loving husband, so I, I would not show up at a domestic violence meeting to understand that kind of stuff, so I'm, I'm going to go to someone I know that knows about children with dis- disorders, disabilities. So that and then so when I'm having my compulsive overeating problems, where do I go? I need to go to an OA meeting. I need to, they need to pick up the books. But anyway, I, I don't want to get off track. But there was just certain darkness that I had that obviously I just couldn't handle, and and it was simple to take back the food. And I don't recommend it, and I don't suggest it. So maybe there's some kind of message I can give to to let people know that it, you know you just don't eat no matter what. And and again, it's not wasn't my path. But what I know today is that. Once I started my absence in January 2006, because what I was doing is, um, because my choices of food weren't perfect, I would say to myself, this is not right. Um, I broke my abstinence. And so it would actually tell my disease and myself, okay, since you broke your abstinence, what the hell? Okay. So I had to stop doing that. And that's where my absence had to start. I had, because it just gave me the right to say, well, see, I blew it anyway. I only have three months. What the heck? I had an extra piece of bread or I had a meal I didn't plan or whatever. So what the heck? It was only, you only have three months of absence, so I had to stop that. And that's where it had to be, begin. And, um, and I have to tell you that, um, 
that my abstinence started in a very unusual place, and and it hasn't been perfect since. But we, were, my family and I were away, and it was the holidays, and we were in Israel, and I had eaten so much the night before, and it was uh, where we were. My sister's religious; she's a religious Jew, and and it was the Sabbath, and and everybody had gone. I don't know what happened, but I was eating stuff I shouldn't have eaten, and and then the next day I woke up, and I didn't think I was going to be absent, but then we got a call that a very close friend in this program had unexpectedly passed away of a heart attack. And he had long-term abstinence for many, many years. He was a 100-pounder as well. And um, and I'm not telling you that this did, but what I had to take is I had to take, I had to take, because you're talking about the atheist part and you're talking about, I happen to believe in a power much greater than myself, and I choose to call that power God as my, I understand him. But I had to listen to, 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 um, to Carl's voice things that I've heard him say that kept me going throughout the years that I knew him. That's what started my abstinence. And unfortunately, the, my date of abstinence is the day that he died, and it just happened that way. But but I have, you know, I kind of, it makes it more dramatic, I guess. I don't know. But whatever, it works. And so, but uh, that's reality. Um, but it helps me because I, I also know that sometimes he was a little peculiar in a crowd, but when I had been with alone with him, there was a lot of support and love and unconditional love I got from this man. So, um, so I, I just I started from there. But I, I want to tell you, this last four years has it, it hasn't been so easy because I I mean I I've always been very present in OA. I've always been always around in OA, and it's always been my pride and my ego and my shame and my resentment that has gotten me back to the food. Step one. Step one always got me back, whether I've had abstinence or not, because I, I basically, in the 10 years from 1996 approximately to 2006, I basically went from, when I came into OA uh, in, in, in 1976, I was approximately 200, I was about 288 pounds. And then I got myself down to somewhat of a normal weight. You know, maybe I could have lost a little bit more weight, but I was really okay. And then I got myself almost back to my top weight. And I'm and I and I, it's been a very slow process now because I'm not I'm probably about 40 50 pounds from my top weight, and I would have I would have really expected that once I started abstaining by this time 4 years later I would be down to where I was before. But another thing that I heard today is because there's a lot of things maybe I'm still willing to do certain things, but other things I'm not willing to do, and I'm older. I mean, I'm 30, 33 years older. Than I, I came into OA, and I was able to eat much more than I'm able to eat now. And when you don't do that, you know, and I've even had to take on exercise. And so you know, and I mean take on exercise. Believe me, it would not have been my choice at all. But I'm telling you, that I've even taken on exercise, so I know that the amount, I, I'm in your gut, you know you're eating too much. So if I'm exercising and having problems with food, but I'm maybe staying the same, then there's something I'm not doing right. Well, it's not that I'm doing right, it's just the best I could do at the time or whatever. But because I, I laugh about exercise and because it, it, it's not my choice. I'm not one of those people. And, you know, it's one of that thing is, is that you... <laughs> You know, you know it's it's better for you. You, you. you feel better, and I can tell you that once I do it, okay, I guess I feel better. <laughs> but but if I don't do it for a while, I don't feel good. But I don't care. I mean, the reality of it is, I do it because 
I guess God's pushing me to do it because I don't have any idea why I do it. But I do it about I do it between four and six times four and five times a week, and I go to the gym. And it's not real rigorous, but it's something that I do. It's mainly cardio, and 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 some resistance. But and this is something I wouldn't even expect that I talk about. But this is really what the program has given to given me, because I got him. You know, in reality, when we talk about physical, we just don't talk about weight loss and and our food plans and stuff like that. Physically, it's healthy. To, even if you don't have this big exercise program, it's good to get out and move your body. And because of some of this weight gain, it's hard for me to actually get on the street and walk. I mean, my husband and I did a lot of traveling before we had children, and we'd walk from the in the morning till night. I mean, not you know, we'd stop sometimes, but we would walk. I can't physically do it anywhere because of my weight gain. So what I have to do is I, I, I want to go to the gym because I can do the bike. And I can even do the elliptical because I can feel, I can feel that I'm getting some moving because that's physical. That's the physical part of my program is to move my body. If I don't move my body, it's going to stay stagnant. Now, I, I know this intellectually. Wanting to do it and knowing it intellectually are two different things. And knowing to eat right intellectually and then doing it are two different things. But this is where my relapse has gotten me. My relapse had, got, relapse had gotten me to a point where I simply just didn't care. But then I knew I was affecting myself, and I knew that I, were, I was affecting the people around me. You know, I, I used to go to Al-Anon years and years ago because there were people in my life, I, if they would just do things right, you know, I was going to go there and I was going to do this. And I went to Al-Anon, and I realized, and this is, this is an outside issue, but is it really? But, I mean, then I realized what I was like when I was eating. I mean, I was terrible. I, real, I only learned a lesson about myself when I went to Al-Anon. And so, for me, uh, for me, uh, I just feel that, um, that the relapse affects the people around me and, um, and how uncomfortable it made me feel. And just recently, I have to tell you, uh, I started working with a couple of sponsors this last a few years, last around five years. And a couple of them, and I need to, I, I don't know how much time I have left, but I, I know that, a, okay, uh, okay, I'm just meant to talk about it, um, is that a couple of them let me go because they felt I wasn't progressing in the way I should be progressing. Uh, one of them had relapsed uh, after that, and the other person, I don't know what's happening. And, I, and this is not for criticism toward them. Because um, I don't know. Sometimes you read it. There is, a, a, I think, a phrase in the big book that you've got to move on. Like, I think Bill was talking that if, if or somebody, t I don't remember exactly how it's quoted, but if you find someone's not getting what you're getting, you move on, or at least you stayed sober. So for me, whatever reason, I had to be let go. But I took a lot, I, I was hurt by being let go. And I'm not blaming it on them, and I'm not blaming, but I've had a lot of mishaps just within this last um this last almost four years, and and I have to tell you that about about two weeks ago, I, I really felt I was slipping, and I really felt that I was not eating in a way that I knew was not good for me. I've really gotten a lot of where I came in really more attracted to the carbohydrates, the breads, the fries, that kind of stuff. When I when I actually had my relapse, it didn't matter what I I was into the sugar, I was into all this other stuff, and um, and just a few weeks ago, I, I started realizing I'm slipping, and I, I really felt like I was going to lose it. 
and I didn't know, and I let it go, and I let it go, I let go of a sponsor, which I really, which I adore, but I really felt she was more like family, and I just asked God to help me find a sponsor, and I, I, I don't want to go well over my time, but I just want to tell you that for the last few weeks, I got a lady that I don't know that well, I don't know if we have the same path, and it doesn't matter, and I'm calling in my food, and I'm reading and writing from both the AA books and the OA books, and I'm doing this path, and I'm just willing at this point, um, I don't want to be, it's not the truth, I'm not willing to do everything she's telling me to do, but I'm willing to do the stuff that I know works, and that's calling. I do not want to be accountable for my food. I do not. Like, I do not want to exercise. I do not want to be accountable for my food. But what helps Joe and what in the long run? And I'm telling you, just after a few weeks, I feel so, I, I feel so much better. I'm, being, I'm exercising. I, I never stopped exercising. So you can imagine how much I was really eating. I never really stopped exercising. And I now am accountable for my food. I'm calling my food. And if I change it, I email her and tell her that I, it was because something had changed or something wasn't good or whatever. But I'm telling you, it comes down to, you know, the first step. It comes down to the steps. It comes down to working your steps, your physical, mental, and spiritual program. That's what it comes down to. And it doesn't matter what your plan of eating is. Whatever works for you, do it. But it's that physical, mental, and spiritual. It's living and working your steps, going to meetings, calling people. And the stuff that I, a lot of times, wasn't willing to do because I was in such withdrawal because of the shame and the guilt and the pride that I had because I wasn't doing it right. And all I know is today, it, it's, it's amazing just after a week. And not that I broke my abstinence, but I just felt myself slipping. By just by picking up the books and reading and writing and calling and being accountable. And it's simplicity. It's simplicity. I can't get to, um, I can't get to a meeting every day. I, I've got other responsibilities, but I can on the phone. I can pick up the phone. I wasn't even picking, willing to pick up the phone and saying, you know, I really want those French fries on my daughter's plate. I was just eating them. I don't, today I'm not doing that. Today I'm not doing it. That. That's stuff that I can't do because that, that cuts me out of the sunshine and the spirit. That cuts me away from that sunshine and the spirit. When I take, it all starts with that, that glass in hand or that food in hand. That takes me away from God because what it does is, is it takes me away from, oh, I ate that. I am bad. And you can forget it. You can just take all the steps and all the stuff that I do to abstain out the window. But when I don't do it, there's all that stuff I have to deal with with life, which sometimes not so crazy easy, but it's, it's, it's better than eating. So I want to just thank whoever asked me to do this and for being here, and, and, and just thanks. Thank you very much. Let me start the ask it back around again. Oh. Oh, it's all right. Um, okay, we now have ten minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket. Uh, okay. And I'll start with the first one here, and then we can kind of go through. The first one says, I'm new. Please define relapse. Um, well, what, what works for me, and I'm a quantity eater, is that I have a, a food plan which aims for a certain quantity of food that I'm going to eat, 
and I have a second threshold which is higher than that, which is my abstinence threshold. So my goal is to aim for the, the my plan, and if I go over it a little bit, it's not a it's it's not a break in the abstinence. But if I go over the abstinence limit, then that is a break in my abstinence. And then once I've had a break in my abstinence, whether it's a relapse or not, I mean a relapse I think is an extended break in abstinence is my definition. This is all me, not not OA, OA's definition or anything. But um, anyway, that's what I would define a relapse as: is an extended break in abstinence. And um, it's up to each individual to decide what their, their food plan is and what their abstinence is. And um, it's worked for me to have two different things there, a food plan and an abstinence. Um, there's a lot of people in OA that have particular foods that they avoid, and they can do that 100%. But uh, with me, it's quantity eating, so that's what I have to mostly do. Do you want to add anything to that? Mm -hmm. Okay, why don't you pick one? Um, what do you tell yourself when you go into the fear that you're, uh, that you, something you, I think it's something, relapse again, that you'll relapse again, you'll relapse again. Um, it's very interesting. I just happened to just pick that one up. Um, I, I, I do, because I, I was just telling my sponsor on Friday when I had called her in the morning, I had just told her that I was very uncomfortable because I'm, I do things when you know, it's new now, and I'm calling in my food, and I'm feeling good, and I'm very inconsistently inconsistent. And I, I will do this for a while, and I'll feel better about myself, and then the next thing I know, I'm back and not doing the things I want. And then all of a sudden, I just stopped myself, and I said, I, I, I basically just stopped, and I said, but I guess I don't have to worry about that today. You know... <laughs> We talk about this one day at a time, and I'm not an expert, so I'm not, and I'm not telling you I do this all the time, but I actually had that, that higher power, I guess, come in and say, I have a fear that I'm working with you, and it's not going to last, and I will fail. And, and my higher power came in because my next words were, were but I, it's not today. It's not today. So the only thing I would suggest is to hold on to that, when you do that at that moment, say, wait a minute, I'm not relapsing today. And, and do what I don't always do is <coughs> when you have that feeling, <coughs> pick up the phone and call somebody. I had, in fact, this particular therapist had told me that even though you get a thought and you say, okay, I really want those donuts, and, but you don't tell anybody, just so still pick up the phone and tell someone you want those donuts. Because what I do is then, even though I have that thought, I never fall through because I know I'm not going to have the donuts. Eventually, by not sharing it and giving it away and maybe talking about something, I had the do before I had the donuts. So <clears throat> that would be my suggestion. Okay, this one says, was there a series of thoughts you had that, looking back, you realized were signs of potential relapse? And this is for both speakers. Um, well, you know, it's, it's one of the things I've heard in these meetings is that the disease talks to me in complete sentences. So whenever I hear a complete sentence in my head, like, you can go ahead and have that. That'll be okay. You know, sentences like that, that's almost always my disease talking to me. The higher power talks to me almost without words. It's like, you know, I do something or I'm inclined to do something or whatever it is. So um, basically, thoughts like that are, are a danger sign to me, period. But in particular, any kind of thoughts along the lines of, it'll be okay, you, don't, you can start tomorrow, it, this one bite won't make any difference. You know, my, 
to get from my goal weight, which I got to in this program, back up to my uh, top weight of 460 pounds, took 40,000 excess bites. I'm an engineer, so I calculated that. <laughs> 40,000 excess bites. But it was the first bite that got me up to that excess, to that top weight. It wasn't the 40,000th bite. It was the first bite, because that first bite led to the second, to the third, to the fourth, to the 40,000th. So, um, so the beginning of relapse starts with that, that first binge, or the first uh, break in abstinence. And, and that's almost always thoughts in my head saying, it'll be okay, it's, it's all right, it doesn't matter. Do you have anything you want to add to that, sir? Um, every uh, <clears throat> every single time I get out of my routine, especially when I go on vacation, I relapse. The relapse lasts forever. Um, how can I stop doing this? And there's another one that mentions about uh, they go into relapse. They've gone into relapse and they get some um, some sobri some abstinence behind them, and and now they're coming off of it. Looks like a two week binge or something. Any suggestions? And I want to say I have that problem because, like, this is a vacation. I mean, even though we have our children with us, this is a vacation for us. I don't have to worry about the house. I don't have to worry about anything. And um, and I always tend to slip a little bit. And 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 the thing that I'm going to do, which I normally don't do because I guess it's a new it's a new thing for me, is that I'm I have a you know we have these cell phones. We didn't have these cell phones 30 years ago where we were able to call our sponsors. And I'm going to call in my food. And I don't know exactly what I'm going to have, but I know approximately what I'm going to have. So that's what I need to do. And maybe, and it's just a suggestion because it's what I have to do today, what I have to do today is I have to be in contact with the people that I'm working with and to let them know when I'm meeting because it starts with that. Because I do a lot of traveling, too, with, with my family, and my routine always gets broken because it's not always exactly what I expect it to be. So that's why I even have to take that extra mile and maybe use a little extra my, my cellular hour minutes and call somebody. And I don't do it. But this is a good reminder for me to do it. Because there's, I just hear people, because this is not necessarily what my thought is and what I do, but you don't have to. Because I hear people traveling all over the world to all these different places that I personally wouldn't go because I, I don't know how things would be. But what I'm telling you is they do it and they abstain. So I know that there's a way to do it. And I also know that if you want to eat, you're going to eat. Because I live with a man that's a compulsive reader and is abstaining for many years. And all I really needed to do was say, hey, I don't want to eat that. Help me. That's all I needed to do. So if I have the willingness to do that, I won't do it. So that's why I know. And then when I didn't have the willingness to do it, I had it right there in my hands and I, I didn't use it. So, and the other thing about, the other thing about coming, um, you know, going back and forth with abstinence and compulsive only. The only thing I can tell you is what I did as I kept coming back. You know, don't give up. Continue to come to meetings, eating or not. Continue to come. Get get quiet. Take a deep breath. Ask God to lead you into a person you can talk to that will understand. Come to meetings. Come to meetings. Come to meetings. Talk to people. Don't give up. Even if you have to sit in this room for a year more, a month more, a day more, and eat. Come, don't leave. Do not leave. That would be my suggestion. Do you have anything to ask about that? Okay. Well, the thing about going on vacations, um, what I do is I take my breakfast with me. You know, I have the same breakfast every single day, and, you know, I can really binge on a breakfast, and that's not a good way to start a day. So I have my breakfast with me that I can prepare in my room, and um, that's, that helps me start out the day absently, and then I can continue on with lunch and dinner, hopefully uh, moderate. 
and within my food plan. And I have a question here that says, what part of your life were you, were you reluctant to let HP into that hindered your recovery? Well, the first thing was the food. I didn't want God to get into my food. You know, I wanted to have my food when I wanted it, the way I wanted it, and thank you, God. Forget, forget. So, you know, the first thing was to let let a higher power into my food and let surrender the food. But, you know, in the um, my first time in the prog- the first time in recovery where I lost the recovery is because I didn't let God into the rest of my life was the problem. That's that's I'm convinced the reason why. I, I relapsed was that I didn't practice each principle in all my affairs. So I really have to let it into all of my life, and that includes, you know, all of my character defects. I have to let God help me let go of them, um, you know, I, uh, on down the line. I just got to say lots of thank you, gods, basically. So it's it's all of my life is what it, what I need to do. Okay. I just want to talk about this real, real quick because I uh, – because uh, I, I couldn't quite read it, maybe it's my eyes, but is this your higher power a static concept or does it change as you change and grow? I, I wanted to talk about that. I kept on putting it down, but then I realized because my concept of my higher power has changed uh, throughout the, the time. Um, actually, when I came into OA, I, I, I knew that there was a God. I just didn't know how I felt. And I was brought up in a Jewish middle-class household, so I don't know what I really felt about God. But what I did is I took the concept of George Burns because he was an O-God, and he was funny, and he had a sense of humor, and I liked him, and I liked his sense of humor, and that's what I took for a long time. I thought about that sense of humor and how God will get me through, and now it's just changed, and and and, and during the relapse, I can't tell you that there was a God there. I was, I was sure that I was being punished, or I was turning, in reality, I was turning away, but allow it to grow. Allow it to flow wherever way it goes. Because that's how it worked from the beginning, and then I had some dark periods, and now I, I'm still growing at this. Right now, I feel I have a much more religious spiritual God than I do the OA God, but I know it's gonna it's gonna transform to other things because I know that there's a power much greater than myself that's gonna restore me to sanity one day at a time. So let it be, enjoy it, um, uh, let it change if it does. You know, grab your own. Uh, write a write a, a a letter to whatever you feel, and get your own concept. So I hope that helps. If not, I'll be glad to talk to you about it afterwards. Okay. This question is: What makes you willing to get your abstinence back? Willing to get out of relapse? And um, for me, I said before, is just being sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, it's. Um, the um, you have to hit bottom basically. I think that you know I there's no way that I would turn my food over to a higher power if I didn't hit bottom with it. If I didn't find out that I was just totally powerless, I just couldn't do it myself. Um, and the big book, it's, if you think about hitting bottom as digging a hole, in the big book it says that you've hit bottom whenever you stop digging. So wherever you're at today, if you're in relapse right now, wherever you're at today, that can be your bottom right there today. And all you got to do is stop digging. And that's your bottom, and then you can get back into the. So you can do the surrender that you're powerless, and you get back into the recovery. Okay. So we will now have open sharing. We have time for three or more shares. If you already share another work, work, workshop, please give others a chance before you come forward. Limit your sharing to three minutes. Stay on topic and sign the tape release form after you share. There's a tape release form up here um, that needs to be signed. So who wants to share first?
first and second. Well, I'm Terry. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Terry. And I um, thank the speakers. Um, I have had several relapses. I know I, I can really, I, I, there's not too many people. I had 10 years of abstinence, and I lost about 135 pounds, something like that. And um, in the last seven years, I've really struggled. I've gone, you know, it was... Uh, Never gone up to my top weight again, but I really struggled with keeping staying abstinent. You just, you know, and it, I think it's, and I just, the one thing is, I've been told and I've heard here too is that it's just letting food become an option again. And that's exactly what happened. It's letting, you know, for 10 years I didn't. I mean, it was like I had lots of things go on in that 10 years. I mean, you know, good things and bad things and, you know, all kinds of things. And it was always, food was not an option. I always would just, you know, I didn't always use working tools as well as I should. But I always went to meetings, I sponsored, and I did all that stuff. And I maintained my weight loss for a long, long time. And then one day, and it was very gradual, just, you know, start being a little sloppy. Because for me personally, I have to weigh and measure my food. I don't have sugar and I don't have flour. I mean, I'm very... I have to do that, and I have to be very careful about that. Um, and I found that I even have to be more careful. That's the bad part: is the finding after that is that I can't, uh, I can't do any little bit of adding here and there or any of that stuff because when I do that, it it opens up a whole new world. You know, like like yesterday, I, I got something at lunch that I don't normally eat, and I thought, you know, I was going to eat it, and I thought, no, I won't. So I didn't. I didn't get as much lunch as I wanted, but you know what? It was okay. So anyway, I just um, I, I'm only about five, five pounds from my goal now, so which is a good thing, and I, I feel good about that. And I just want to, you know, like I said, I, the speakers were wonderful, and I could really, you know, like Joe said, that shame and remorse and the self pity that I feel because I had ten years and I threw it away, you know. But you know what? I know personally, I'm a much better sponsor than I was before. Because now I can really understand. I didn't understand for that 10 years what it was like to slip. Because I didn't. Now I know what it's like and I know that misery. And, you know, I know that I, I can really help someone who is, who's in there. It's the best of my ability. Anyway, thank you. Corey, I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Corey. And I'm grateful to be abstinent today. Uh, to the degree that I am, I believe I'm abstinent by grace. And that's about the extent of my belief system uh, today. Um, I've been coming to Overeaters Anonymous um, since 1991. And um, today I count a little over a year of abstinence, um, imperfect abstinence. Um, and my top weight was um, somewhere north of 270. I kind of stopped weighing when I got real big. My goal weight today is 200, which is my doctor's weight for me. I'm a little over 20 pounds above that. And I'm, I'm letting go of a lower goal weight, my personal goal, which is 180, because there's a 20-pound vanity factor in there. <laughs> and um, so I'm letting go of that. Um, However, I'm, I'm even considering letting go of the doctor's goal because someone said in, in another meeting that, um, you know, my goal weight is none of my business. 
you know, my businesses to abstain and leave the goal weight up to my higher power. Um, but uh, what's up for me is um, pertaining to relapses, you know, with that, with that number of years versus the, the abstinence, um, you can see that I've been in and out or relapsing or um, just coming and not being abstinent for a long time. And, and there have been some periods in there when I didn't return to OA because um, I felt like uh, you know, I'm in some other 12-step programs and I felt like you know, it's just one more thing and I can't do it all. But, um, but I need to do it all. I need to recover in, in all areas. And for myself, um, what I'm coming to believe today is that um, I need to work my program more rigorously, including the food. Um, that involves my character defects, and I need to address those character defects in all areas of my life and with everybody because, um, uh, because some recent uh, events in my life, um, troublesome events like um, getting fired from my job and having an end of a relationship um, is teaching me that I need to practice the principles of the program with everybody, not just with those who are close to me. You know, it, and um, and that involves a deeper level of recovery uh, for me. So, so I have to dot the I's and cross the T's, and and uh, that's why I'm here listening and and um, I want to thank you guys both for for your pitches. Uh, I heard quite a bit and I'm and I'm going to digest it now. Thank you. <laughs> I'm Linda I'm Linda Compulsive Overeater, and the very first meeting I went to in 1977, Joe was a speaker, <laughs> and I'm so glad to see you. I mean, I've seen you all these years, and I see your husband. Anyway, um, I, um, I came to this program, obviously, 77, 89, 32 years ago, and I'm above my highest weight that I was in high school and I'm you know when I hear people with a hundred pounds or more I think if you guys can do it so can I I mean it gives me hope you know and and of course I'm dealing with my perfectionism and I'm never good enough and but but you know being a compulsive over I see being a compulsive overeater um, never goes away. And I didn't get here in time to see the, the mirror, you know, the body image thing, because no matter how big or little I am, it's never enough. So um, so I lost, you know, I had good, I did not have good abstinence when I, the first few years I was here, and I never took a chip or a, a candle. And I finally took one after about 10 years because I realized that I had a lot of experience, strength, and hope to offer people. But because I was putting myself down, I wasn't giving 
out. And when I give out, I get back. You know, when I make an outreach phone call just to say, how are you doing, and someone actually needs to hear my experience, I have a wealth of experience. And I feel so in touch with God when I am sharing and listening and helping. And um, that helps me lose weight. <laughs> and so, and working this program is something that I don't want to give, uh, you know, a meeting a day. That's, that's incredible. That's commitment. And, and not being, wanting to be accountable to my food. I mean, calling a sponsor every day. I'm not even doing that. I went to, oh, when, anyway, I went to a, um, a workshop about six weeks ago and it was wonderful. I needed that total immersion and so I'm back for, you know, a day's worth today and um, I just want to commit that this program really works for me and it's a spiritual program and it's not just a diet and and I'm, I'm here to absorb some more. Thanks. How do I respond? What actions to take can you take when the addict, the salesperson, starts rationalizing you to modify or break your food plan? Um, and that's a good one. <laughs> um, you know, when for me today, I, I don't, I don't want to do that because I, I it's <laughs> quote unquote, I want to be a good little girl and say everything that I'm going to eat and not go over it. But my only thought would be is that. What I've just talked about, and, and and I can maybe let, you know, Frank can also respond to this, is that that's the disease. You know, we don't have to be perfect with our food or our program, but we have to be. We have to be accountable. And I'm only talking for myself. And so if you feel that is starting, my thought would be, which I don't do as much, but now I'm starting, is to pick up the phone and talk to somebody about it, you know, um, because it's, it is our, for me, it's my disease telling me, um, it, it just happened last night. I had what I had planned to eat, and I, my, my son, <clears throat> as much as he loves to eat, he does not like, I think he's sick, but he doesn't like french fries. And he had ate a sandwich, and he didn't finish it, and then there's this big thing of french fries. And my disease will tell me, even after knowing that that's not what I committed, I can just have one. And I almost grabbed it. And I thought, that's not, I don't want to have to call the, the, my sponsor in the morning and said I had one of my son's french fries. I don't want to have to do that. And it's not bad or good or indifferent. It's just the fact of how am I going to feel afterwards. It's not a bad thing, but it is because then I'm not doing something good for myself. And it's just one french fry but it doesn't stop at one french fry for me. So that's it. Anybody want to share? 
Hi, my name is Victor, composable reader. Hi, um, mainly that what I what I go through is that um, when I try to stick to my abstinence, I undergo immense immense like like panic attacks because when I'm food has always been my comfort. You know, especially when I'm started when I was just starting the program, it it was always there. You know, I always felt that other people were not, and other people did not understand me. And when you and when you stick to your abstinence, I thought it would be very easy because you know, all right, I stick to my abstinence, I'll put the food away. But then you realize just how much you needed it, and it's almost like being like a drug addict. I mean, you get the shakes, you know. Like you want, you want to, you want to just rip the door off the freezer. <laughs> and for me, I get these horrible, horrible panics that I have to literally sit down and concentrate to fight. And I wanted to share that with you because I wanted to let you guys know that you guys aren't alone in that because I was experiencing one during during this meeting right now. And, uh, you know, I just want to let you guys know that it does pass. It does eventually. If you just concentrate on it and breathe, it does, it does pass. And you ask God for help, it does pass. And you just have to stick to your guns. And eventually they do. They do subside and they do pass. So that's all I wanted to say. It is now time to close this workshop. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the third step prayer. 